The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Walker Hare. Now, Walker is an award-winning writer, director, producer, and actor. And not only that, Walker is also an old classmate of mine back in middle school and high school. So I am so excited to have you here with me, Walker, to talk about your journey that I've been able to witness from then to now. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's been a, a few years since I've seen you, but uh, I've been listening to you in my ears. And so uh, it's nice to reconnect this way. Yeah, isn't that funny? And I've been watching you on Instagram. So it's like, even though we haven't really talked, I kind of know what you're up to. You kind of been hearing what I'm up to. So social media is weird that way. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering, Walker, if you wouldn't mind from your own words, maybe telling the listener a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So Laura and I, we met, as she mentioned, you and I met back in school. So when I was growing up, I kind of had one thing on my mind, which was anything that involved a ball, uh, a basketball, a football, baseball, anything like that. And I actually went to college to play football. I started out, I went to Colorado State, and then I went to uh, UC Davis for a year uh, and played there. And that was kind of always my focus. And it was very much sports. And I had friends from all walks of life in high school, even in college. It was something that I've always gravitated towards lots of different types of people. But when I stopped playing football, I felt, oh, I felt very lost in terms of like, what now? And I remembered hearing a little voice in my head saying essentially voices along the way that it always told me to try acting. It wasn't immediate, but I do remember like when I stopped playing football, I, I switched my major to being a bar fly and like valedictorian, best grades I've ever received, not in the classroom, obviously, <laughs> but I, I felt very lost. And I remember these conversations that I'd had along the way, essentially where I remember in high school, a, a friend of mine who was very involved with theater, she had said, you know, you should always try it. For various reasons, I finally signed up for a class one year and there was going to be a conflict with lacrosse. I couldn't play lacrosse, another ball, <laughs> and do theater and do like student government, which if I remember correctly, we were both doing. Were, were you? No? Did I not misremember? I was not. No. No. You were not? No. Okay. I all wasn't, right. can, but I played tennis. <laughs> we can edit that out. So you know, you know all about the ball. <laughs> So anyway, so I, uh, yeah, so I, I tried to take a class. The moral of the story is I tried to take a class in high school. It didn't work out. I was feeling very lost. I talked to my mom on the phone and I said, you know what? 
I'm really depressed. I don't know what to do. I know Spanish. I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to drop out. I was it's my last year of school. I'm going to drop out. I'm going to move to Spain. I'll figure some things out. And she said, no. And I was like, mom, I'm a man now. I'm 21. You don't control me anymore. She's like, no, you can't go. And I was like, mom, I, I need to. And she said, no, I get it. I'm on your bank account. No, you can't go because I see I'm looking at your balance right now. And you just can't even afford to fly there. But, and she knew how competitive I was. She's like, but if you find a way to graduate this year, I will help you fly there as a graduation gift. And so the carrot was now like swinging in front of me. I took as many (laughs) classes as I had to take, like 24 units, 23 units, tons of classes. (laughs) It was insane, but I had to get out. It was either get out of school or like just go insane. And so I graduated the exact amount of credits I needed. And one of those classes I took was an acting class. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? (laughs) And I remembered I'd been chasing like, you know, I had a history. I don't know if I should get into this or not, but I was really, honestly, I was majoring in like boozing and chasing women. And I just felt very, very lost in that regard. And so I finally found something that was like the most addictive drug I've ever tried. And it was, it was incredible. And I was like, oh, this is what people been, been talking about. Like, and Wow. And like my heart opened in a way it never had. And I, I mean, I grew up playing sports competitively since the time I was like four. And so all of a sudden this was this new thing, but I, I had to get to Europe. I was gone. I graduated less than a week later. I was on a flight to Europe for five months. And so I went and I wow. worked in Greece for a little bit. I was in Spain for a while. The whole time I was there, it was incredible. All these like eye-opening experiences I'd never been. And I quickly realized that you don't get paid well if you aren't a citizen there. So I was like, forget (laughs) it. I'm putting it all on my credit card and I'm just going to go and I'll figure it out later. And the whole time where I went, I was like spending my money on art, on museums, on going to a theater in a foreign language and not even understanding, but like just really compelled to see more of that, like to experience this. So when I finally did get back to San Diego, I just had to know if this was like a passing fad or if it was something that meant more to me. And my heart had been like aching for it calling to me while in Europe and all these different countries. And I was like, I have to try this out because if I don't, I'm always going to wonder like, what if Right. I have to go for this? And I, and Being a competitive person, I dove in. I started taking acting classes while selling women's shoes, you know, on the side. And (laughs) I was taking acting classes at nights. And uh, and then I was in a few plays. Were you in San Diego at that time? I was in San Diego at that time. Yeah. And it was very, it was briefly. And then I had a girlfriend at the time who was living in LA. And on my trip to Europe, I had a layover in New York. It was a cheaper flight. Also, I kind of wanted to see it because I'd never been. I got kicked off the uh, high school trip to New York or (laughs) middle school, whatever it was. You didn't get to go to that? No, no, no. (laughs) I got kicked off the week before I was supposed to go. Oh, no. Yeah. So. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it was my fault. I mean, I, you know, I just, I I said something I shouldn't have to the teacher who was leading the group. And Walker. I know, I know, I know. But she, she, I felt like she'd been riding me and I I had a chip on my shoulder and all the things. So I finally got to New York and I had a 12 hour layover. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm walking around. My eyes were wide as saucers. I was like, I have to come back here. So I auditioned for one school 
I got in. It was in New York. I went there that summer and then spent a lot of time in New York. And as I was going along that path of grinding and trying to make it as an actor in New York, along the way, I also discovered this deep, deep love for writing. It was a bit of a shift. To me, writers are like J.K. Rowling or, or Hemingway or Shakespeare or, you know, whatever. Like these people who like you, they're just prolific and that you can't. It's like it's this far away thing that felt impossible, you know, having never written. I wrote as kids and this and that. And I know you've written a book as well. And so it's it's this thing where it's like it's what other people do. Yeah. I can't do that. It was this negative self-talk that really wasn't helpful. And yeah. so I, I remember taking a class that was essentially about like writing a one act play based on an experience from your own life. And it was like kind of an easy training wheels into the process. And I wrote this play based on, (laughs) um, I had a ridiculous fake ID. You can edit this out. (laughs) Only if you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) I bought an ID in Reno on the strip. They literally like took my picture with like a flash camera and like put a a thing behind me. So I had this ridiculous fake ID and I was flying up to a a wedding up in Portland, Oregon. And this woman on the plane, it was like 930 a.m. And she was the old Southwest planes where there's one seat row that faces the back of the plane. And I got, I I barely made the plane. So I'm sitting in that row, staring back and not (laughs) very happy to be there. And this woman starts attacking me. She was already drinking and you know, it's nine 30, 10 in the morning. And she, at one point she tried to give me a lap dance. Oh, attacking you that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like, (laughs) not like punching. Like she was angry. Oh no, 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 no. She was hungry. So, <laughs> anywho, I wrote this play about that experience and everyone was okay. just laughing. Obviously, I embellished some things, but it, I mean, what I've told you now is totally true. And so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, it was another discovery for me. The same way that first time when I was doing a monologue from this play called Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, and I was getting really angsty and dark and like working through childhood trauma in this college class and like, oh, acting is great. I can emote as someone who'd been playing sports and wasn't allowed to do that. Uh. This again was a new thing. Where it was like, oh my gosh, these people are laughing. And this is something I've created. And it opened a door for me where I thought, okay, this is something maybe I can do. Sure, sure. And from that point on, I kept writing and writing and very much, whether you ascribe to it or not, but Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, I've been putting in the hours. And since then, I have now, I sold two feature films last year, sold two with a co-writing partner of mine. One of them got made with Dermot Mulroney of My Best Friend's Wedding fame. Yeah, I remember him. Oh, yeah. 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 Now he's a silver fox. (laughs) I mean, he was back then. But yeah, very talented actor. And Anne Hesch is in it. May she rest in peace. Yeah. And some other really cool, talented actors. And it got made down in Georgia. And so that's supposed to come out next year. I made a feature film that I also wrote 
called Thorpe. It's a really wacky film about a, an alien who left Earth in the 80s and he comes back in present day and he's trying to find his best friend. And that's available on Amazon Prime and Apple Plus. I watched that trailer. It's wacky. Yeah. We that like to so, call it like a comedic so sci-fi fish out of water coming of <laughs> age is. dramatic thriller love story. You know, it just rolls off your tongue. So I, I helped produce that film and then I acted and I wore all the hats, but I also realized like I don't need to wear all the hats and I've, I still act. I got to be in this amazing film uh, that's coming out in around Christmas time called Babylon. Uh, Damien Chazelle directed it. He also did La La Land and Whiplash, First Man, things like that. Margot Robbie is in it. Uh, Brad Pitt is in it. Some uh, really fun scenes in that. And then I'm working on the show right now called 1923, which is by the guy who did Yellowstone, uh, Taylor Sheridan. And so that's like kind of a prequel. So I've been going back and forth to Montana working on that. I've just, you know, had a really interesting life. I'd like to think it's not for everyone in terms of, you know, it's uh, always flowing. The door opens and you can take it or you can say no, thank you. Because I think as an artist, a lot of times the only power we have is the power to say no. You'll get offers to do things. And I know early in my career, there was a very real worry that if I say no, that door might not ever open again. And so I feel like I'm generally someone who's a people pleaser. And so that's been kind of a balancing act for me, I say, as I call in from the Mojave Desert. And having just finished shooting this commercial um, out in the cold, and I, I mean, it was, it was a wild experience. It's called Trona, and it looks like a set of Star Wars, like these stalactite sort of giant rock formations out in the middle of the desert. And it was stunning and freezing. And it's just, yeah, I mean, from set, I was sitting on set and there was some downtime and I had my pulled up my laptop and I was working on a script and writing something that I'm sending to my manager. I got into this crazy business as an actor and I've kind of been changing and evolving and trying to find a way to make it work and keep chasing things that bring me joy and finding a way to also like take the time for me, which is really tough. You know, you know, I, I feel very lucky in that I have a very supportive family and people that are like my champions. And that's amazing. And uh, I've got two amazing little nephews who light up my heart. And so that's really great. And my family, of course, also all of them. But uh, I, I also feel like I am an uncle to Many of my friends' <laughs> kids all across the U.S. So uh, when people ask where I'm from, I say that I'm tricoastal, which is not a real thing. I was like, where's the third coast? It's <laughs> uh, so in L.A.-ish, New York, and then Toronto. I've been working on a project up there. It's an interesting lifestyle yeah. and no, no two days are the same. Well, that sounds thrilling, really. Very exciting. You had mentioned before we started recording that you consider yourself a spiritual person. Do you mind explaining what you mean by that and what that looks like for you? Yeah. You know, I think growing up, I've had like a, a very on again, off again, love affair with the church. Uh, I was baptized Methodist and then went through confirmation, Lutheran confirmation. And then when I went away to school, there were moments where I was very involved with the church. And then there were moments where I was like, no, I'm an atheist. And these are just stories. And 
I, I feel like I was kind of like dabbling in extremes and reading books about Buddhism and, and many different things. And yeah. I think like at the end of the day where, oh, side note, one of the people who told me to act first was a friend of mine who was very involved with a, a theater company in uh, San Diego called CYT, which is Christian Youth Theater. And she was always trying to get me to go do that. And I always saw it as, to me, it felt like Jesus and jazz hands because they were always doing musicals and, you know, <laughs> retracking. So I think for a while it was either like I clinged on to the notion of religion or I pushed it away. And then I think what became very healthy for me is when I was like, is a sense of more of a spirituality and a sense of that for me, every morning when I wake up, I like to do some sort of yoga, some movement, get my body moving. And then I like to meditate and I try to do it every morning. I know that on the days when I do do it, my outlook on life is it's just easier. Things don't annoy me as much. I've you know struggled with anger issues in the past. And I know a lot of my writing actually deals with at least some of the things that I'm working on right now. There's one that's kind of like a film that I'm converting into a TV series, which is essentially one of the main characters in it is she's an artist. She's a, she's an illustrator for children's books. And I know like I very much have a, a huge, as I've already mentioned, I have a big giant place in my heart for the children in my life. Even this Last weekend, I was working on a feature film in a different desert, and my co-star was this young girl. She was nine. She's uh, absolutely adorable and so fun, and I've been messaging her mom on Instagram, and she's like, she just loved working with you. She was telling the rest of our family about you and said you're just like a big kid, and I feel like, you know, it's I take it as a compliment. Like going back to the, the question where essentially where in this piece, you know, she's really wrestling with this childhood trauma that she suffered and she kind of works out her art through that. And it's not me, but it's like I can empathize with this person. And obviously I've created this character. Yeah. I know that based on a lot of like things that happened to me when I was growing up, there's a lot of anger and resentment at times. And especially when you come from this background of being six foot four, 245, 50 pound guy, you know, anger issues would creep up very easily. And so, and as I've become more in touch with a sense of being more spiritual and even just calming myself, meditating, having a daily practice, having a moment to stop and think and breathe. And my God, wow. Breathing (laughs) is so important. It It took me a long time to figure that out though. Yeah, sure. I feel like there's so many things that we're taught as we're growing up that I just feel like we could be much better served with some more practical, you know, like I I see some of the the things that my that my friends, not necessarily my nephews, but my friends with kids that are now in school that are that they're doing. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. And I mean, I would hope that we would grow and learn and change. But to see, you know, it's it feels like they're equipping a lot of children with with more of a toolbox to deal with some of these things. And I feel like that for me being spiritual, finding, Mm -hmm. even just being out here in this desert, in the high desert, in the mountains. I mean, you look up and you see the sky and it's, I mean, it's incredible. 
you know, and it's just like, I, I just look at the, all these things and, and whether you believe in, in, in God or not, that to me, there's something and there's something out there that's bigger than all of us. Yeah. And I feel like if, if that's not the case, then I, I don't know what we're doing here. And that's helpful for me. And yeah. it's taken me a while to kind of get to that place. Yeah. Well, I feel like realizations like that have to happen organically and on their own. Like no one can tell you that. You have to feel it really internally. What was that process like for you when you first started meditating when you realized that you wanted to have it's it almost seems like a morning ritual or something like that to kind of get your day going on the right foot was it pretty anticlimactic or did something happen where you're like I need to do something yeah I, I wish I could say that there was like a sort of a light bulb moment that happened I honestly I, I wish I had a really cool story about it but for me I think it was just more of a gradual sort of I think when I started doing it and when I started doing it consistently, I realized a calm and an ease, especially when I was in New York. And that city is incredible and insane. And the energy <laughs> there, you know, when I first got there, that energy was what drew me to there. I was like, wow, it's just, it's nonstop. It's in your face. It's unapologetic. I think New Yorkers get a bad rap and that like they're awful people or they're jerks or whatnot. I think they're just, they have things to do <laughs> all the time. And it's just a different thing. Like I remember leaving there for the first time and coming back to California, going to, to San Diego back and dating myself now, but remember getting some checks for Christmas and going into the bank to deposit the checks. And I remember before I even got to the teller, three people had said hello and asked how I was doing. And I was like, what do you want from me? <laughs> and I was so, I was like, I was ready to, You're you know, so karate chop some. I was like, what do you, to a hundred percent. But I, and, and I'd only been in New York for like six months and I had already, the city, the weight of the city had, cause if you don't transform and change and evolve, yeah. There's so many people there that are ready to take advantage of you. And so I feel like that grit seeped into my body and it was for good reason, but also like there was a part of me that needed to find a way to release it. And for me, like getting out in nature, waking up, having a chance to just breathe and like center myself, mm, oh yeah, not just jump into my phone. And I know like, it's so easy now with technology at our fingertips to always be doing something. And I think there's also this culture of what is it? Uh, you know, Beyonce only has 24 hours in a day too. I'm totally butchering it. But essentially that idea that like Beyonce can get all this stuff done. So why can't you write your book or why can't you go to the gym and do this and do that? And from like, I know, uh, especially in the industry that I'm in, it's such a pressure to always be doing, 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 going, going, going. And I fall into that trap sometimes. Sure. I think the meditation, the yoga, the finding outside spaces, just looking up, yeah. seeing the sky. And it's hard to do sometimes when you're in a big city with buildings looming over you. But I think that that's all that that for me. It's mm -hmm. something I wish I'd I'd realized sooner, 
But like you said, someone can tell you about it, but until you're ready to open your eyes and see, it won't really matter. Yeah. It's all perfect timing, the way it's meant to happen for you. I'm curious because I know what it's like to write something, having written a book like you had mentioned, and putting it out there. It's very scary. (laughs) So for you and your writing, writing these scripts Mm -hmm. and then putting them out there. What was going on with you at that time as far as like emotionally, mentally? Like how was that for you being vulnerable and sharing your work for the first time? Yeah. I mean, I know that that's a great question. I feel like it's different and every time is different, I guess is what I'm saying. I know that the very first time I did it, I think I probably had like a six pack of beer to try and whether hearing these people read these words out loud. And then I quickly realized, oh, that's not healthy. (laughs) I would not recommend that. Also, you don't know what they're saying because you're like, wait, what? (laughs) So that was, uh, that happened. Uh, Someone taped it, right? No, but uh, I I feel like it's a piece of you. It's a piece of your heart. And it's like Mm -hmm. giving birth to this artistic child and you're putting it out there. And if people are like, your child, your child's ugly, then you're like, ouch. (laughs) And it sucks. And I know I've been a part of projects. I've put projects out there that I like. I I mean, my last feature, I, I like, there was like blood, sweat, many tears, friendships gained and lost (laughs) along the way. One of our producers had her her father passed away, another producer, her family's home and was in Puerto Rico during a hurricane. Our main location almost got swept away by a tornado in Connecticut. (laughs) There were fire. It was just like over the course of a year and a half. It was insane. And to, to try and get it done and then put it out there finally and we're done with it. And then it was during COVID. And so it's like to try and put some mm-hmm. art out there in the world during COVID and you can't go to a theater and watch a an audience collectively come together and react. Yeah. It, it was really tough. Yeah. But I think, you know, you kind of have mm. three yeah. options, which is essentially, you know, if you're going to do it again, Option one is you can quit, right? You can just throw in the towel and that's, you know, an option. And quitting is, is I think, a word that, especially in this industry, has a really bad connotation. I think like you can leave or you can shift, you can pivot. I guess that's the next thing that I would say is you could pivot and learn from what you did, learn learn what went well and what needed a little work. And hopefully on the next one, you know, take those lessons. You can also, you can persist and you can just keep pounding out in the same way. And I feel like, at least with writing, I, I remember meeting this very established writer in LA many, many years ago. Yeah, And I was like, tell me the secret. Like, how do you do it? What he's like, he's like, you're doing it. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, like you have, you've got a show that's on AMC, like, come on. And he was like, no, I, he's like, but you're what you've told me what you're doing. He's like, you're doing it. He's like, the thing is, is, and I think this is applicable to books, to anything really, but I, I think anything that you really have to take a lot of time to put into and to put out in the world, podcast, writing something, many other aspects. But essentially he was like, you know, let's say there's a hundred people that have an idea for a screenplay. 
he's like a hundred people say I have this idea mm-hmm. and maybe 50 he's like no 30 of them actually go from telling their friends and family about it to actually like mm-hmm. sitting down to start writing or start the thing whatever it is and he's like all right so now those 30 that started I'm gonna say maybe 10 maybe let's say five five finish. Mm-hmm. That's the first draft. Yeah. Five to 10 finish. He's like, then of those people, the amount that will then take the time to then rewrite or recraft or what have you go back and take the time, do the work to actually put it out there in the world. He's like, it's 1% tops. So I think that for me, the journey of, and it's funny because I'm working on a couple different projects right now. Wow. I was just having this conversation the other day with someone where essentially I was like, I've done this so many times now. And yet I open my computer and I look at that blank screen and I'm like, how do you write a movie? <laughs> how do you do this? I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? What? <laughs> But I think yeah. that's that's the same for anything, right? How do you write a book? How do you do that? How do you do that? It's just like confounds me. Yeah. And then even that, the act of like that shock can take you yeah. so far back that you like, all right, I'm done. I'm good for the day. Close the laptop. I know. It's such a yeah. temptation. And I feel like the real testament yeah. is to keep going, to sit down. And I think that's what people who really have something that they want to share with the world they have to do. And if you don't do it, then it's not going to be put out there. And whatever that is for you, you know, I mean, if you, I'm sure your very first podcast, I mean, maybe the equipment was broken or you didn't like the way something sounded or this or that. I mean, I'm sure the list could go on and on. Definitely not fancy. (laughs) Yeah. And for some people, you know, I'm sure it's too hard. It's too easy to say, ah, I'd rather go watch Netflix. Ah, you know, I'm going to do this, that, the other thing. I think there's a real testament and power to to keep going. Whatever that is for you, podcasting, writing, baking, whatever brings you that joy and you want to put it out there in the world. I think it's important to to keep going. And I know that we need people to put things out in the world, even if it's not received the way you'd hope. But if it's important to you, it's going to be important to someone else. And for every person who's been like made fun of something that I've done, other people have come up to me and said it meant something to them and it really touched them in a way. That's the hard part about putting yourself out there. But I think you learn to not listen to the noise. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be crushing, especially in a day where you have people on the Internet hiding behind fake icons and shouting about this, that, and the other thing. There's so much noise. It's very easy to say that you hate something or it's very easy to make fun of something. I think it's a lot harder to do something Mm -hmm. to actually put your heart out there and say, okay, world. And then to, uh, to get back up if you're knocked down. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes. And I remember before I was in the arts, when I was playing sports and all that. And I remember, I had all these quotes on my my bathroom mirror, and two of them were from Churchill. And I loved his quote, essentially, which is like, success is going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. And I think that's like a nice idea 
to not lose that enthusiasm. His other one that I absolutely love is success is like wrestling an 800-pound gorilla. You don't quit when you're tired. You quit when the gorilla's tired. That's a good one. And for me, if I want to put my things out there in the world, I have to keep going. Restore, take time for me, see the nature, do my Mm -hmm. routine. But then even when someone doesn't like a script or doesn't like a performance or doesn't like this, that, and the other, if this is the thing that brings me joy and this is the reason why I feel like I was put on this earth, then to just stop yeah. because of that noise yeah. would be a disservice yeah, to the universe. Well, Walker, this has been such a really fascinating conversation and I've been really excited to hear about your journey, especially since I've known you for so long. I was wondering to help wrap up our interview. I wanted to know what advice would the Walker of today give the Walker of his past? I would say trust the journey. I think there's so much pressure to be great right away, to be a child prodigy, to be in the 30 under 30 list, to be Instagram famous with your millions of followers, to have all this success. And I feel like we all have our own timelines. And I know that I've beaten myself up a lot about the woulda, coulda, shouldas and the what ifs. And none of those conversations with myself serve me. And it just pushes me back further. And I feel like if I could go back, I would say, breathe, believe, and just see what comes next. But keep pushing. I love that. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Walker, for your time. It's been so great to connect with you again on this platform. And I look forward to continuing watching your journey. And hopefully we continue to stay in touch from here on out. But thank you again so much for your time, for sharing your journey and your story with the listener and with me. And just really appreciate you. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This has been awesome. was another episode of a guided life podcast thank you so much for tuning in and until next time love and light always Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.